I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement that comes to us by your spirit in your word. And uh, we pray for that encouragement today, that you would bless us, that uh, you would take the truth that we need to hear and that you would bring it home to us for our encouragement, uh, for our correction, for our joy and peace and all for your glory and the glory of your son, Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, Last week, or over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what happened on the day of Pentecost. Um, When the Holy Spirit came uh, upon the believers, and uh, last week we spoke of uh, Peter's uh, great sermon. Um, And uh, today I'm I'm picking two passages I'm putting together. You'll see why they fit together, but this is the immediate follow-on from Peter's uh, message. And this is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were gathered together and had in common and, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then if you could go over to uh, chapter 4, verse 32, we're going to go to that. All the believers were, of one, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's a great couple of passages, isn't it? We love those passages, don't we? Yeah? Do you long for that to be what the experience of the church is? Okay, so they bring the money forward and house deeds and... That's not really a joke, but yeah. I think that these passages grip uh, our hearts as believers. We marvel at them, don't we, at what's going on. We know that there's something about the Christian community here that is true. That's the way it should be, isn't it? And yet, as believers, uh, I don't know how many of us would say that's how we live. I don't know. The Spirit was at work. This wasn't the end of the day of Pentecost. It seems that the day of Pentecost spills over to the next day and to the next day. The Spirit was at work. Many people were being saved. The community was marked by love 
Uh, it was marked by a care for one another. Uh, people looked out for the needs of one another. And it also, uh, they, they began to show little care for the riches of the world, didn't they? You show little care for the riches of the world if you give it away. And, and people, uh, the, the conviction of sin that people came under under the day of Pentecost continued. Uh, we know that because people were being converted. Now, you can't be converted without a conviction of sin and without a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay. But in verse 42, we uh, read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, one, to the fellowship, two, to the breaking of bread, three, and to prayer. That's kind of the heart of what the believers were on about. Four things. Um, Central to them, central to us. The first being the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the disciples, of the witnesses to Jesus. When I say that, the disciples were the witnesses to Jesus, right? Um, we, we all love to say, and it's true, we're all equal as Christians. We all have the same Holy Spirit. But the disciples or the apostles, they had something which we don't have. They had three and a half years of witnessing Jesus as he taught as he was one-on-one with them, as he was walking, they walked for, if you, if you read, they just walked for hundreds of k's in those three and a half years. Always talking, always learning, and Jesus was telling them the truth about everything along the way. And even after the resurrection, he continued to teach them. What I'm saying is this, apostolic authority means something. Right? Um, the apostles, we actually know what the apostolic teaching is. Do you know why? Well, it's what we call the New Testament, actually. Yep. And a lot of that apostolic teaching is an interpretation of the Old Testament. They had an understanding which is authoritative. That's really important, isn't it? Um, In the early church, they didn't say... Well, yeah, yeah, that's the apostles, but we get our stuff from God directly and we know, well, some of our stuff, it may differ a bit from the apostles, but hey, it's a similar authority. We've all got the same Holy Spirit. Might seem like a small thing. It's a massive thing. The, the first Christians filled with the Holy Spirit listened to the apostles. Christians today, filled with the Holy Spirit, will listen to the Bible. Yep, We don't go beyond it to new and greater revelations. Does that make sense? It's a really, really big point because our whole faith is seen in the apostolic teaching. And if you were to sum up the apostolic teaching, and, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, we... we, we get really bound up in, they say, the the trees, not the forest, or something like that. We get bound up in the little points. If you were to take a stand back and look at the New Testament, you would have to say that the guts of it, the heart of it, the whole sum and total of it is quite simply about Jesus. Would you not? I mean, I know it's also about God the Father, 
and it's about the work of the Spirit. But hey, you, you just just go and read, you know, uh, just one of the letters. Anyone, it doesn't really matter because it's all about Jesus. True. Um, we we could be uh, mistaken sometimes for thinking that the whole message of the Christian church is about me. No, you know, yeah, I know you know it's not about me, but you might put yourself there. The heart and total, the, just the guts of it is about the life, the death on the cross of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus and Jesus is the good news and that's that. Do you understand? And that's the apostolic teaching. And if we never go past that, if we just get stuck in that, oh, how boring for the rest of our lives, we are going to be filled with the greatest treasure in the whole wide world. Peace with God, as Colin Buchanan put it. But do you understand? Everything's found in Christ. The gospel, the good news. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and so should we. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They met together. They encouraged one another. They lived as a body. They spoke to one another. Um, we could say it's not just talking about Sundays. If that's how they, um, if they met, of course they always they started church sermons at services nine a.m. Uh, back then, not nine thirty. But apart from no, um, they met together. They had fellowship, and this is a natural byproduct of the apostolic teaching. It's a love for one another. When the love of Christ flows through you when you understand what love is. What, this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. When we understand that, that love flows to us and we love one another and there is a devotion to the fellowship within the church. And it's awesome. We meet together. We speak to one another. We teach one another according to the apostolic teaching. And... They gave themselves to the breaking of bread, which uh, we assume means to the Lord's Supper, which again is a remembrance of what Christ has done, continually to be reminded of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, that was commanded, but that's not, uh, we, we do it because it was commanded, but we do it because of what Jesus does through the Lord's Supper when we meet together. He encourages us again in what he's done for us. He's forgiven all our sins. And they devoted themselves to prayer. They were a praying community. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll find lots and lots of their prayers all throughout it. It tells you what they prayed. They were always praying because they... You see, prayer is quite simply relying on God. Or You pray when you rely on God. You pray when you have faith. You pray when you trust him. You don't pray when you don't need him, when you don't rely on him. Okay, so if you ever think, I don't pray enough, that's because you don't think God's that important, that you need to rely on him. That might sound black and white, but that's kind of how it is. Yeah? We pray because we rely on God. You don't... Uh, sorry, if you, if you know you need God in everything, you'll pray. And if you think you can live without God, you won't pray much at all. 
Um, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They could see that the apostles were doing miracles and signs and uh, they were in awe of that. Uh, it was a continuation, really, of what Jesus had been doing. And uh, they met every day in the temple courts. At one point, I think it says, before too long, we'll get to it, there's 5,000 of them gathered in the temple. That's a big crowd, isn't it? And Peter, the fisherman guy, who is leading them and teaching fisherman guy who had doubts and denied Jesus and all that. We had that at Bible study the other night. Um, Filled with the Holy Spirit, he has a personality change. He is bold to proclaim Jesus Christ. Um, And they broke bread in their homes, so they met together outside of the the temple courts. It's like they're meeting together in the big groups, they're meeting together in small groups, they're meeting together here and there, and they're forming a community, and daily there are people being added to their number. But one of the things that really grips us about this passage is the way that they shared their money and their possessions. Because, you see, they were no longer owned by the world, if you know what I mean. You know, it's not that they're owned by the world, but, you know, if you talk about someone being owned, they're a slave, aren't they? And we, when we're a slave to the world, we're kind of owned by it. And they've been set free from this ownership of being gripped or being a slave to the things of the world. And one of the things that they let go of up front is their money and their possessions. Because, you see, when you see something of far greater value, just say you thought that the most important thing in the world was the dollar or was some possession, or your house or whatever, that's the most important thing, and then suddenly you see something of far surpassing value to that, you go, who needs that? It's not so important. Can you see that? Lesser value... Uh, things get shown for what they are when they found the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew everything. They knew what was important. They didn't know everything, sorry. They knew what they needed to know most. Because you can have everything this world could offer and have nothing because you don't know the truth of Jesus Christ. That pearl of great price that we heard in the kids' talk but uh, it's, it's the next bit after the man sold his field and went and bought it. Uh, he says, uh, it's went and sold everything and bought it the field. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So he saw this jewel or this pearl of greatest value. And what did he sell? Everything. There is this one thing, and if I have that, I'll have everything. And if I've got everything else, it's of so small a value compared to this. Can you see what what I'm saying is, what is behind this behaviour of the the early Christians in giving up their money and giving up their possessions? It's because they've found something of far greater value. Well, they know God, don't they? We need a lot more than that, don't we? (laughs) To know him is everything. That's what we're after. 
When you know God, when you know also that Jesus has forgiven your sins so there's nothing between you and the God you know, and he is the holy and perfect God, and you've been made holy and perfect, so holy and perfect that the Holy Spirit now lives in you, then you can know God. What else do you need? Seriously, what else do you need? Oh, we we do need a bit of... No, no, seriously, what else do you need? If you haven't eaten in 40 days, you need bread. And Jesus says what? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's like, yeah, 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 away with your bread. I've got something worth far more than that. Can you see that? And he's 40 days hungry, which is really hungry. It's worth selling everything you have. What they knew through Jesus was of greatest value, so everything else suddenly becomes expendable. It's a bit like when Jesus says at one point, you know, if you, if you love me, you'll hate your wife, you'll hate your family, you'll hate everything. It's like, it means so great is, the, is what you've found the love in me that everything else will just seem like hate. You know what I mean? It's just of so much smaller value, the value of no me. He's not saying, don't love your wife, don't get me wrong. Because in our lives, we put a lot of effort, a lot of hard work, so much thought, so much of our churnings in our mind, so much of our planning, so much of our actual love, our fascination into things which are not worth that much. We get caught in it again and again, don't we? And if you, um, I remember we read a book on discipleship years ago in Bible college, it said, if you've really got a problem with money, if it's an idol to you, the way to dethrone an idol is very simple. Give it away. Because what you're telling that idol is, hey, to me, you're worth nothing. You're worth so, so nothing that I, I just give you away for nothing, you know? And, and that dethrones that idol in your heart. Yep. Because it is a pointless exercise to love the world or, any, or anything in it. John says, don't love the world or anything in it. Don't get obsessed. Don't let that fascinating love, that you know that thought that goes on in your mind when you think about whatever it is, if I had that, I'm going to have it all together. Don't get caught up in that. So a question that we ask then is, um, now, uh, was that everybody selling everything? Was that just for a certain age? Because we actually don't do it in the Western world much, I don't think, do we? No? Um, because, and, and, but yeah, is, is that the way it's always supposed to be? Well, I can tell you this. The pearl of great price is always to be the pearl of great price. That is true. Jesus is always to be the centre and the things of this world are always to be of lesser glory. In fact, so far lesser glory that we basically despise them. Do you understand? We, um, we can't ever love God and love money. Jesus said that. You can't serve two gods. It doesn't work like that. Yep. 
You'll either love one and hate the other or love the other and hate that one, won't you? Or love, however that is. You're only going to love one at a time. In other words, only one thing is ever going to be on the throne at the same time, at that one time. And so, when we find what we have in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and brings us the truth of who Jesus really is, when we have that greatest gift ever of the Holy Spirit in our hearts crying out, Father, well, then we know what's of true value. Then we know the, the pearl of great price. The church is not really ever the church unless it holds the pearl of great price at the centre. And when it does, basically, we hold on very loosely to the things of this world. We go, yeah, yeah, I like that, but if, it, if it's taken away from me, I will. That's life. Yep. I think that one of the reasons we love this passage so much is, and the, thing, the times we ache for it is when, we, uh, when we're in the slavery. Just say uh, we, we've got a house, some of you got a house, and you get the rates bill, the gutters need to be cleaned. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there's always something needs fixing. Maintenance is just never-ending. And all that, oh, wouldn't it be so good to live like they lived? Yeah. Someone else would do my gutters then, maybe. Someone else would pay the rates. Uh, what, you know, when, when the things of this world get heavy upon us, uh, when, they, when we feel the slavery of them, or perhaps it's we're feeling the entanglement of sin and we want to be free, then we'll say things like, well, I'd be happy living in a tent. 40-degree day, yep. 40-degree week, 40-degree month. Oh, I'd be happy living in a tent. Would you? Yeah? Really? Yeah? No, no, we say stuff like that. Oh, I'd be happy in a caravan. That's what I, you know, I, I, I don't need much. People say that all the time. Just go, yeah, whatever. Yep. But these things of the world do grip us. They, they entangle us. Um, so what do we do to that? How do we break free from the sin that so easily entangles? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we fix our eyes on him, it's like, I've I've been telling people, this is my picture. My pictures are not scripture, but this is just how I picture it when when I read that passage. And it says, so so jump step, picture a race. A hundred meters race, you know, and and at the end there's not a there's not a, a ribbon. It's Jesus, yep. And the sin that so easily entangles, I picture in my head. This is the non-scriptural bit. As kind of this triffity type vine, which is chasing along behind you as you run. And when you slow down, or you take your eyes off Jesus and you wander off, it seems to catch you, and it starts tangling up your legs, and maybe getting up higher. And then what you, you might tend to do, the way to deal with sin is to fight the sin, right? So you just say, there's, here it is coming up your leg, this vine. You're about to have your concentration disturbed here, by the way. Here it comes up there. So what do you do? You take a machete to it, right? We'll just stop for a second. <laughs> Yeah. 
You're allowed to sit down. <laughs> yeah, the one who's just had an operation gives up his chair. That's good. <laughs> um, when the sin that it entangles us, if we stop and start fighting the sin, it will just keep growing on us. And when we start, just imagine there's a vine growing up your leg. Hitting it with a machete may not be that good for your leg. Do you get what I'm saying? How do you break free from the sin that so easily entangles us? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we fix our eyes on him, we step out of that and we keep moving towards him. Does that make sense? How do you overcome sin? Not by fighting with sin. Because sin is better than you are. The devil is stronger than you are. But Jesus is the only way to fight and to step out of sin. So you fix your eyes on him. So what I'm saying is, when we get surrounded by the things of this world and we go, oh, I'm, in, I'm enslaved and, and whatever else, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on, on those things and the problems they cause. Do you, you get what I'm saying there? Okay. And see this. What has actually happened here is that these disciples have been shown a new vision of the generous God. God is generous. What has he done for them? When they were dead in their sins, he sent Christ to die, the Son of God, to die in their place. How generous is God? Like, think about it. How much did he give up for us? And then... As they know that, that generosity flows out of them, doesn't it? They become givers in the same way that he gave. Well, I know that we, we don't want to quote everything in Colin Buchanan's songs, but give thanks to the generous God who blesses his children again and again. That's, that's true. As we give thanks, as we praise him, then we become generous because we become like him. We see all that he's done for us. He has blessed us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's God. He didn't spare his own son. He gave his son up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How generous is God? How good is he? You can answer that one. Really good. Really generous. Generous beyond belief. How do we become those people? Well, firstly, we, we give into the apostolic teaching. We know who Jesus is. We know God the Father. We have the Holy Spirit and we become like our Father. That's just a natural outflow, isn't it? We become a Christian community. How do you become a great Christian community? I remember being in the church in Adelaide years ago and they sit around, how do we have community? Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Look to him. Can you see that? Look to the apostolic teaching. Because then all of life comes into focus. You know, when, when you, if you're like me and you're a bit blind, then you, everything's fuzzy, right? And then you put your glasses on and suddenly, whoa, I can see you clearly now. It's a bit scary. Now, um, you get to see what's important when you look at life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah? 
Go to him. Thank you. It all becomes clear when we know the living God because then what is treasure and what's lesser treasure becomes obvious. It all becomes clear. Does that make sense? Because when he gives us his Holy Spirit, I mean, yeah, he sent his son to die for us and we killed him. And so what does God do after forgiving our sins? He gives us more of himself in giving us the Holy Spirit. This is the generous God. And all I'm saying is these people gripped with the generosity of God become generous. Become gripped with the generosity of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you'll have everything. Because there we, will not, we won't care about the value of our possessions, our money and so on. Uh, and we will love one another more than we love ourselves, more than we love our stuff. It'll just be the natural outworking. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that what we've seen in this early church would become us. I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. I pray that we would be gripped with him and therefore we would put aside all those things of lesser importance. I pray that we truly, in the power of your spirit, wouldn't love this world or anything in it, but that we would love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.